Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. The Christmas season is about the joy of a life with Jesus, the light of the world. In this three-week Christmas series, we'll learn to live with the joy, hope, and expectation that is found in Jesus. Today, Pastor Andy talks about living a life of joy instead of one filled with criticism. Enjoy the message. Today, we're going to kick off how to stop a critical spirit. You know, Christmas season is a, is a time that we are excited because we get together with family or we put the trees up or, you know, we have our traditions. And, but it can also be that these things that we look forward to, the busyness, uh, the stress, could actually drown out the real meaning of this. Uh, to drown out why we celebrate Christmas to begin with. This season can also be really hard. It can bring to memory those that are no longer in our life. Uh, we, it can bring to memory those that maybe are passed on, maybe uh, relationships that have been broken. We realize the empty seats at the table, and yes, this season can be incredibly hard as well. I remember my grandma McGowan. She's been gone with the Lord for 15 years, and we, I'm so grateful for her life. Without uh, Grandma McGowan, half of our family wouldn't know Jesus. I don't even know if I, would, I wouldn't be here today. Uh, she led my dad to the Lord, okay? And so she was just, a, uh, just somebody who loved Jesus and somebody who shared Jesus like no other. If, if you're, uh, some people are like, man, you're just always talking about Jesus and, and sharing it places, I blame my grandma, all right? Her legacy lives on. But listen, she, there's just complications, though, in every one of our lives and one of the complications was is that she really struggled with a critical spirit in fact for a good chunk of how how long I knew my grandma uh, she was really critical against herself and she was because she was critical against herself she became very critical on others she had different things that happened in her life early in childhood midlife but it all culminated and all came out in being very very critical and so whenever you would talk to her it was always kind of trying to dig out of the negative well, we got a call uh, on Christmas morning. We were unwrapping gifts as a family, and it was Grandma. And I was really excited because I'm like, whoa, Grandma's actually calling to, to wish uh, a, a Merry Christmas. And, and so we picked up the phone. My dad picked up the phone, and he began to talk to her. And as I was listening in from the other room, my heart kind of sunk because, again, he just began to argue against her critical spirit and her spirit of just seeing everything that was wrong. And what was interesting is that her critical spirit not only robbed her of the joy of that moment of being Christmas, but she actually didn't, she forgot that it was Christmas morning to begin with. A critical spirit can literally suck the whole perspective and suck dry any hope or any joy that's in your heart. And maybe you find yourself there this morning, and maybe you have found yourself in that place at different parts of your life. It can affect us all. It can affect us all. In fact, I, I, I do want to say this. My grandma in the last few years of her life was just filled with joy, and she got to experience the joy of the Lord. She, uh, she just had some moments to where uh, she realized how much the Lord had done for her and how the Lord had used her. And I'm so grateful for that, that she went into the presence of the Lord uh, with experiencing some joy here on earth. But listen, losing joy and uh, becoming overly critical or seeing this life as uh, being over, overly critical can happen to anyone. And it's happened to everyone to some extent in this room or online. Having a critical spirit is poison though. It's poison to your soul, and it prevents you from experiencing the joy that should be yours if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. So here's our main idea, and we're going to unpack it in the book of Luke this morning, in the book of Philippians. Here's our main point if you're taking notes. You cannot have a joyful heart if you have a critical spirit. You cannot have a joyful heart if you have a critical spirit. Now, 
Before we go on, I want to define a few things. It's so important in today's culture that we define words. Words are being defined almost by the day in culture uh, to mean different things. And so we want to be very clear whenever we preach here about what we are saying and especially that it lines up with the Bible. So let's, let's talk about what does it mean to be critical. There's a difference between having a critical thinking skills, okay? Critical thinking skills are, or, or using our, our intellect or using our minds. That's a good thing. All right, we should be critical thinkers. But that's different than being a critical person or having a critical spirit. Critical thinking is taking information and making a decision through facts and seeing if the information is correct. This morning when I open up God's word, we will be using our critical thinking skills and making sure everything that I says that I say lines up with the word of God. It's to involve making a judgment call. Every day to one degree or another we are making judgment calls through critical thinking if I said hey guess what outside today when you leave church today it's going to be 80 degrees enjoy it right you're like okay and you go outside and you're like oh my goodness this is cold using your critical thinking skills using analyzing what I said compared to what you're feeling you're seeing out there you'll realize I was wrong you put your coat on you realize it's not 80 degrees it might not even be 32 degrees outside but if you didn't use your critical thinking skills, you'd be outside like, hmm, 80 degrees. Well, 80 degrees is kind of cold today, right? And so it's so important that we analyze what are we hearing. And that is a good thing. We need to rationally understand God's intent in his word. We need to understand what God's word is saying. We need to understand that as 2 Timothy 3.16, that, uh, that God's word has been breathed out. It's inspired. It, 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 is, it is for every aspect of our life uh, to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us. That's critical thinking. What about a critical mindset? What about a critical spirit? Whereas critical thinking is driven by analysis at a problem, a critical mindset is triggered and driven by unfettered emotions toward a person. Critical thinking is an idea, right? Critical spirit is at a person. Critical spirit will slander, it will gossip. It'll think the worst of even a positive situation because it can't see the positive situation. He'll judge the secrets of the heart. He'll keep track of the wrongs. He'll dig up what was already forgiven. And you'll hold a person uh, that you have beef with to another standard uh, than maybe somebody else that's doing the exact same thing. You play the judge, jury, and executioner while giving yourself a pass. A critical spirit is poison. A critical mindset, a critical spirit, is not a spiritual gift. Rather, it's a spiritual hindrance. Having a critical spirit can be easy to come by in the holidays because we have to sit at the table and, and, we, and sometimes it's with family members or, or distant family members and we don't see eye to eye on things. I mean, if that politics comes up at the table, right? If, the, if your opinion on how we should combat the virus comes up at the table, it could be World War III instantly, right? And somebody could be super critical on you. They could be getting on your case. Why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done more of this? How could you believe this? And you're taking it in and you're already thinking of maybe that person you have to sit across the table from and you're almost just choking on your breath you know what I mean you're just so like nervous getting around that person like what are you doing I'm choking I'm breathing right now right you're getting so nervous being by that person why because you know that you're gonna have to face their criticism no matter what you say but you need to be cautious here when you're sitting across a critical person you can become critical yourself you can return a critical spirit for the critical spirit and if you return with a critical spirit know this you too could become bitter towards the person that you're having a hard time communicating with it is easy to have a critical spirit and which should be the most joyful time of the year. So how do you overcome a critical spirit? Joy. 
joy in the Lord. Joy. And we're going to explain how you can tangibly do that. But first, because definitions are important, what does it mean to have joy? So I went to a couple definitions of a couple pastors and theologians. Let's talk with first with our, what I would say is a theologian at this point, John Piper. He said, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Let me say that again. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world, in the word and in the world. That's John Piper. I'm gonna quote Rick Warren. I don't normally quote Rick Warren, but in light of what happened in his life, I think this is profound. Rick Warren uh, had recently had to experience the death of one of his children that committed suicide. This is how he defines joy. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything's gonna be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Him defining that in light of what he had to experience, I believe is profound, don't you agree, church? So let me define joy. I'm gonna give you Andy's definition of joy. Because really, when you look for joy and how to define joy, it's, it's, it's pretty elusive. The Bible says that words can't express so it's, it's hard to define it, but we're still going to try to. So here we are. Here is the official definition this morning. It's on the screen, so you can write it down in your notes. Finding peace and wholeness in the person of Christ despite our momentary feelings or what is happening around us. Finding delight in Jesus and rather than, rather than who we are or what is happening around us. Finding, I gave you an old definition, I changed it. Here it is, go, you go with that one. Finding delight in who Jesus is rather than, we who are, rather than who we are or what is happening around us. That's my attempt at it and I botched it. <laughs> now being happy is different than having joy. Being happy may be momentary satisfaction of what you're experiencing. Someone can say, are you happy? And you might not be. If something really bad happened in the day and you said, are you happy? And you said, yep, I'm happy because I'm a Christian. Uh, that's delusional. You can be unhappy about something but yet have joy because joy supersedes our circumstances. Being happy changes day to day, but joy is a state of being. It's to be lasting, which means you can have joy in hardship. You can have joy in trials. You can have joy in boredom. You can have joy even while being in pain. But you cannot have a joyful heart if you have a critical spirit. So we're gonna look at specifically some things this morning. Number one, of how you can get rid of this critical spirit through joy. Have a joyful spirit instead of a critical spirit. Secondly, we're gonna talk about what it means and what to do if you're experiencing criticism in your life. Maybe somebody's being critical in your life. And then finally, we're gonna talk about how we can spread the joy, how we can spread the encouragement as a church. All right, let's kick it off for our first area of our message this morning. So let's talk about ways that you can get rid of a critical spirit through joy. I'm gonna give you three examples. The first one is this. Find joy in what God is doing now. You wanna get rid of a critical spirit? You need to find joy in what God is doing now. Luke chapter two, verse eight. Let's go to Luke chapter two, verse eight, and we're gonna see an example of finding joy when Jesus came. Luke chapter two, verse eight. And I know this is a Christmas passage, and if you've been in the church for more than a couple years and gone through a couple Christmas seasons, you might, oh, I know this story. I want us to come to this story like we've never 
heard it before, all right? Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So Luke describes the moment, the first moment, that Jesus was announced to the world. The Savior has come. Now imagine if you were part of Jesus' PR team. All right, we got to figure out when, uh, how we're going to announce that Jesus is coming, all right? So uh, we need to make sure that we buy, have a good ad buy and all the, all the different, uh, you know, areas of communications. We actually need to make sure he comes in the right year because, if we, you know, if he comes, you know, on, you know, uh, you know at, at 4 B.C., uh, we, we need him to come like in 2021 20, A.D. Uh, so that there's social media and the whole world can see it at once, right? They're, they're, they're probably calculating the PR people. Oh, and we want to make sure that the important people see it, the influencers see it, the presidents see it. We want to make sure all these things are, and then Jesus, then you can come. But that's not what we have here. He came in an age where there was very little communications uh, when it came to, it took months sometimes for, uh, for a letter to go 30 miles. And yet, we see Jesus came over 2,000 years ago. But we also see that Jesus didn't show up in front of all the rulers and the governors. No, he was announced in a cold, muddy Israeli field in front of shepherds. The most unlikely, the lowly people in society. Shepherds, they were watching their sheep in the fields and they looked up to the sky and they saw what I believe they probably thought was maybe a cosmic disturbance, right? I and mean, we've seen that when we've been driving or when you've been out in the country and you've seen a shooting star and like, whoa, right? When you see a shooting star, it's pretty cool. Usually if you're with somebody, you kind of give them a nudge and say, did you see that? But this wasn't just a cosmic disturbance. It wasn't just that they may have nudged each other, whoa, whoa. They saw something so big, so angelic, what they knew was heavenly, that it wasn't a whoa, this is exciting. They became, what we see here, is terrified. Now, whenever in scripture an angel shows up, it's not like, wow, cool, an angel. You usually see this, terror. Why would you experience terror if you saw an angelic being before you? It's because what we see is even specifically in the book of Isaiah, that when we are in the presence of the Lord, the Shekinah glory, that is the, the glory that's almost blinding to you, whether it be an angelic or the Lord himself, we see that the individuals in scripture were like, whoa, I am terrified. Why? Because they realized the sinful nature, the sinfulness of the person and compared to the glory of what they were seeing. But I love what we see often here in Scripture is the response to the terror. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Don't you love that? When we are fearful of who we are in light of an almighty God, God is always telling us, don't be afraid. It's his invitation to come into his presence. Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to the people he favors. Isn't this interesting? People he 
favors, and yet he is proclaiming this to the lowest of low, the outcast of society. This isn't to say that shepherds weren't used by God. Obviously, David and Moses were shepherds. But at the time of Jesus, shepherds have been falling in hard times. If you're a criminal, uh, if you had a fallen out with your family, uh, it, it, you, it, you could become a shepherd. Shepherds were known to have tempers. They were bitter. They couldn't even be witnesses in a court of law, even if they saw a crime because they weren't to be trusted. And yet, God showed up amongst them. They were the nobodies, the outcasts. And yet, the angelic procession began to proclaim in front of the most unlikely people. Verse 10, good news of great joy that will be for all people. And the shepherds had a choice. They saw something absolutely amazing. They were told, do not be afraid, and yet they still had a choice. Will they focus on who they are, the tasks that are at hand, the disappointments that are in their life, uh, the things that are, make them angry that they're a shepherd. I imagine some of the shepherds are like, it's not even my fault I was here. My dad, he did this, and then we had to ra he raised us kids to be in this field, and now nobody trusts us. They had a choice to find the joy of the Lord in that moment or to keep on focusing on their situation. The shepherds had a choice, but they found the joy. It could not be unreasonable to think that they could have just went, hmm, and just shrugged, hmm. But we see it was more than that. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off, and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. They didn't delay they hurried off at once. They left what all they knew to go into something that was unknown but completely mind-blowing, something they realized, we can't miss this. They found the joy of the Lord in their moment. And it's so easy for us in our life, whatever's going on in your life, whatever disappointments that you're trying to figure out in your life, whatever beef you have with somebody or somebody's hurt you or you've hurt somebody, whatever it is, the complications, the messes of life, it's so easy to focus on that and then get to God. Oh, God, will you do something with this? Instead of saying, God, you are good. God, you're doing something good. I find joy in what you're doing, even though life is hard, even though I, I have disappointments in my life, even though I wish these things were different. God, I first want to declare you are good and you're doing good right now, and I don't want to miss it. But we can become so busy, we become so stressed that we miss it. And you know the worst thing is, Usually when people fall in these times or when I fall in these times, we begin to spiritualize it. You know, it's just somebody else's fault. Man, if they, if they just love Jesus more, then I wouldn't be this miserable. No, 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 no. You have the responsibility to find what God is doing good because he is good and he's doing good and we need to join him in that good. And the shepherds had enough faith to leave everything they knew to look for a baby in the manger. It didn't make sense, but they knew this was the moment. This was the moment of hope. The unlikely found themselves in the most significant scene besides the cross and the resurrection in history, the birth of our Savior. And I can imagine in the manger there was some confusion. You know, Joseph just kind of, you know, standing there as he does in the Nick scenes. He was like, 
Wait, who are you? Shepherds, uh, what are you doing here? And they're like, you got to hear this. The angels were in the sky. They told us you were here. And we are here to see the birth of the Savior. And you know what? The next time that you go to Walmart or Target or you know, I'm sure Amazon makes one now, whenever you see a nativity and you see the shepherds, it's not just to fill out a, a plastic nativity set. These shepherds were here because they left everything all at once to go see the Savior and their life was changed. Finding joy in the Lord is the key of removing a critical spirit. You have to find the joy in the Lord no matter your circumstance, no matter your lot in life, no matter where you find yourself in life. God is at work and he is good. And through this, the shepherds' lives were changed. They were reprioritized. They were repositioned. And they could have walked right back in the way that they've always lived but they realized they had a greater purpose in their life and they were gonna live according to that calling. Luke chapter two, verse 17. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds viewed life in a new way. They didn't see life in the same way. And today, we rejoice in the same way that the shepherds did. We, we don't look for Jesus to come for the first time. He came 2,000 years ago. That's why we celebrate Christmas. This beautiful where God, the God became man, was the God man, 100% man, 100% uh, God, yet sinless, came to take on our sin debt. He came to live, to die, so that we may have life. And so we rejoice in the Christmas story. It's, it's a reminder to us that God came to be with us, but he didn't leave us. Yes, Jesus ascended into heaven, but he gave the Holy Spirit to us when he created the church, and the Holy Spirit's with us right now to give us the dynamic of, of living naturally supernatural lives. The Holy Spirit allows us to be obedient. The Holy Spirit allows us to find that joy. The Holy Spirit allows us to do the initiatives of which God has entrusted us with. And we rejoice in that today. And yet it's not just the Holy Spirit we rejoice with today. We rejoice because we long because Jesus is coming back. We long for his second coming. We know he's coming back. And we want to worship our way into heaven. We want to reach people. And we want to see them populate heaven. We want to see the kingdom in part now as we wait for the kingdom in full later. Amen. But we can miss all of that joy when we're focused on our problems right now, right? We feel that, don't we? We know that. But look, we want to get rid of a critical spirit and the holiday spirit. Here's what we do. We got to look, God, what are you doing around me? What are you doing through me? What are you doing in other people? What are you doing despite me? God, you are good. God is good. He's doing a good work. He, he desires to do a good work through you, through this church, through this city, and collectively as people reach people for Jesus and they worship Jesus. If he could do it through the shepherds in Israel, listen, you know what I'm going to say. He can do it through you and is doing it through you. Do not let the circumstances circumstances of your life rob you of the joy you can find in what he's doing right now because you cannot have joy you cannot have a joyful heart if you have a critical spirit you have a choice you need to find it what's he doing secondly it's not just good enough for you to find it a lot of people find it, it's like oh that's cool they observe what god does I'm like ah, that's pretty cool right this is the hard part number two you want to get rid of a critical spirit? Number two, you need to choose 
Choose joy as an act of obedience. Choose joy as a lifestyle, even when you don't feel like it. Even when you want nothing to do with it. Oh my, I'm not happy today. I guess I'm not gonna be joyful. No, eh, wrong. We need to choose joy. It is a choice you must make. Luke chapter two, verse 17. After seeing them, this is the shepherd seeing uh, Jesus in the manger, they reported the message that they were told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds were undoubtedly filled with praise and they were filled with joy when they saw the Savior in the manger. Now notice again verse 17. They reported the message they were told about this child and all who heard were amazed. The shepherds were changed from the inside out, just like what we sang this morning. They not only found joy but they began to choose joy, and that's what changed the direction and trajectory of how they related to people. Now, someone say, may say, Andy, you might be reading into this. How do you know that about the shepherds? How do you know they just were like, hmm, we saw something, hmm, here you go. I think it's quite obvious. If the shepherds were like, hmm, we saw something in the sky, hmm, we saw him in the manger, hmm, here you go, do you think anybody would be amazed? Think about it. The reason why sometimes Christians and churches and Christian dumb can be ineffective isn't because Jesus is ineffective. It isn't because Jesus is not miraculous anymore, or he's unpowerful. It's because we have downplayed, we haven't magnified, right? We've buried what Jesus has done. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Christ. And I, you know, I think, you know, sometimes prayer works and I pray sometimes. So, you know, I, yeah, but I, yeah, yeah. Nobody's going to be amazed by that. And yet we read in the scripture, they witnessed the, 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 the message in the sky, they witnessed the Savior in the manger, and they witnessed, they saw, they found the joy that God was doing, and they chose joy because they went in the city and said, you've got to understand what just happened here. The Savior, the Messiah that you've all been talking about for years, we saw him. He's in the manger. And it wasn't that, oh, and people were confused or, or people thought they were drunk or people thought they were crazy. No, it said the people were amazed at what they heard, which means this, church, listen to this. The shepherds, the most unlikely, the criminal, they told lies. People couldn't trust anything with them. God entrusted them with the message. The first New Testament evangelists were the shepherds. Were the shepherds, the most unlikely. Why? Because they chose joy in the moment. You want God to use you in mighty ways? Listen, you can have experiences of knowing the Bible. You can have experiences in, in, with the Holy Spirit. But if you don't cho choose joy and what the Spirit of God, what the Word of God gives you, it'll be a fleeting moment. It's not to be a fleeting moment. Joy is a lifestyle. The Christmas story is an invitation again for you and I to take this great news of great joy and choose the joy of the Lord in any moment. Paul tells the church, the early church in Philippi, in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter four, verse four, he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Now it seems odd at first glance that rejoice is actually a command. I mean, can you actually, and I can imagine the readers are thinking the same thing. Can you actually tell us to be joyful? Hey, just be joyful. You serious? But you don't know what I'm feeling. No, no, Paul, Paul understood this. That's why he said, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again. For those of you in the back, or those of you that came in late, or those of you who are on your phones, or those of you that have dozed off, or those of you that are listening to me, or those of you that don't believe me, I'll say it again. Rejoice. It's a choice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. So can we really rejoice when things are just going downhill? Life is a dumpster fire. And Paul is saying yes, because his life was a dumpster fire. He was in jail. He very well thought his life was going to end. It eventually did end. But he thought his life was coming to an end. Why? Because of his relationship with Jesus. He was willing to die for Jesus. And yet he's telling us in a prison, rejoice. Because it's a choice. What he's saying is circumstances don't determine the condition of a Christian heart and mind. You may feel down, blue, depressed, crushed, but the spirit of the Lord is still in you. And when you realize that you're in Christ, we realize what you have in Christ, we realize the relationship that you have with Christ, there, nothing can shake that joy. You cannot have a joyful heart, though, if you have a critical spirit. So you have to choose joy or else a critical spirit will ensue. Getting rid of a critical spirit, number three, also includes this. It's not just observing, it's not just choosing, but it's speaking. It's speaking joy, speaking words of joyful grace instead of criticism, critical words. Now remember, I'm not talking about a complaint, I'm not talking about critical thinking. There may be things that we need to talk, you know, address, but we address subjects, we don't address it at people's hearts. Does that make sense? talk more about that in a minute but number three is we, need, we want to speak words of joyful grace instead of words of criticism philippians chapter 4 verse 4 rejoice in the lord always i'll say it again rejoice let your graciousness be known to everyone the lord is near don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to god notice what paul is saying here joy is not just a personal experience it is but it's not just personal Joy is not just a one-on-one -on -one thing between you and God. It is, but it's not just to be between you and the Lord. Joy is not just supposed to be with you and your bestie, right? It's not just to be with you and your, your group, your clique. I mean, it will be, right? But, but it's, it's not exclusive to that. What we see here is that joy is extravagant. Joy, uh, we, just, we, just, we just dish it out. Uh, joy is extroverted in nature. You're like, well, Andy, I'm an introvert. No, this isn't about your attitude. Whether you're introverted or extroverted, our joy is always extroverted. In order for people to experience joy or see joy, they must see it and hear it in you. And what we see here, it says, let your graciousness be known. This could also be said, let your big-heartedness be known for everyone. So, Let's just put it this way. It's not just saying, oh, hey, how you doing? Oh, it's so good to see you. Oh, hey, right? It's not that. Sometimes we pick and choose who we want to be nice to or who we want to exhibit the joy of the Lord to. But listen, if you're picking and choosing who you want to be joyful to, people are going to snip that out. Because here's the deal. Yes, joy can be communicated, but I think joy even more is radiated. You know what I mean? You go into a room and you're not joyful, everybody feels it. You don't even have to say a word. But they're like, man, what, what's up with them? Man, there's just something heavy on them, man. Oh, but they said hi to me and smiled. Yeah, but do you feel what's radiating? So joy needs to be extravagant in nature. It needs to be shared with everyone. Because when we don't, when we let bitterness happen with one person or one situation, it will fester. It's a sin, number one. But secondly, it will fester and it will compete 
with the joy of the Lord. And by the way, this isn't just a side note. Some of you are like, because, you know, if you've been in the church world for a while, what we do is we love to do uh, biblical gymnastics. Oh, I know he's right, but you know what? Or I'm just, I'm still, I'm still going to be mad at that person. Or I'm still just going to be angry or bitter about this situation. I'm just, I'm just sorry. This isn't just a side note. What does Paul link being big-hearted and graciousness to? Three or four words, verse five, at the end of verse five. The Lord is near. He's tying this. If you want to be ready, if you want to be ready for the second coming of Christ, you better expel all critical spirits and all bitterness from your heart. You better just take a deep dive and just go off the diving board, the high dive at the, at the pool, and take in that dive in that 20-foot dive of the pool, go to the very bottom and take it all in, because listen, here's the deal. We need to be people of joy. People of joy, that is the best way to prepare for his second coming. So it's not just a side thought. When we trust the Lord, spend time with the Lord, be filled with his Holy Spirit, it will change you. And as you spend time with the Holy Spirit, you'll begin to have fruits of the Spirit. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. It ushers us into, when we have this joy, it has further fruit. It ushers us into what is called in verse four, four, verse seven, is peace. And the peace of God, which, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You will be worn out about situations or people in your life if you take your focus off the Lord and don't find your joy in the Lord. When you have a critical spirit, you lose perspective, you lose grace, and you lose peace. So the peace of God is the payoff. Sometimes we want to not give things over to God or we want to be angry at somebody. We want to you know, be angry at a situation or just dwell on something and just stew on something. Because we think that we're going to change that something by doing that. Or we think that somehow our unfruitfulness is going to create something fruitful. No. It's just going to make you riled up. You might have peace, maybe with your posse. But the minute, the minute you, stay, you step out of that safe space, you feel all those toxic feelings. Listen, I use some jargon I don't even agree with. Because as followers of Christ, we're going to have peace that surpasses understanding wherever we go anywhere and everywhere. So, those are three ways to dispel a critical spirit. Let's talk about now what happens if you are on the other side of criticism. And this is important because if you don't do this well, you will return with a critical spirit. So, if you are being criticized or you feel a critical spirit towards you, how should you, how should you respond? And that's a good question. You need to ask that to God. God, should I respond? Should I respond? James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So when someone's given it to us or we feel that radiation of his negativity on us, we need to pray, we need to pray, we need to pray, we need to pray. God, should I even respond? Do I need to respond? And God, if they're saying something to me, God, let me button my lip for a second. Let me listen. Let me see if there's any truth in it. And God, let me pray for them. Let me pray that they would experience grace and love from you and whatever's happening in their life. But there's other times, though, that we only lean into critical voices. So maybe that you need to listen, you need to take in, and you need to respond. But sometimes that's only who we listen to. It's critical voices. If you're a people pleaser... You're, gonna, you, you just, you're just addicted to critical voices. You're addicted to critical spirits. You, 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 you want their approval even though you know you're not going to get it. And so you could be just, 
you could be given so many different words of affirmation. Uh, you could be hearing th- real truth from other people, but it's that one critical comment that you'll dwell on. You'll bury everything else out. And it needs to, you need to ask the Lord, Lord, is this something I should even be listening to? Am I listening to critical voices? Is this critical spirit building me up? Because for many of us, we have that critical voice living rent-free in our head. They might be alive. They may be dead. They may be our own voice. We need to dwell on the excellence of the Lord. We need to evict that voice and dwell on the excellence of the Lord. And when we dwell on the excellence of the Lord, we're able to take proper critique and we are able to put it in its proper place. So God, help me respond. How should I respond? And if we do respond, we need to pray, God, help me when I respond. Help me when I respond. Proverbs 12, 18 says this. There is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So we see a contrast here. Uh, Those that when you you respond to somebody who just made you mad or maybe they said something unfair or or disrespectful, you immediately want to just rash out and just say something. But the word of God is saying, stop, pause. We want helpful words. Because when helpful words are from the Lord, and they can be hard words, but when they're helpful, they will heal. So pray, God, how am I to respond? Words, they need to be true. But just because they're true doesn't mean you can be unkind. They need to build up. Because you do not have a joyful heart if you have a critical spirit. And if you respond to every criticism or you don't care how you respond to criticism, and it could be that in the way that you don't respond to criticism, you just let it stew inside of you, that's, that's wrong too. No matter what, if you respond to criticism the wrong way, you could too could have a critical spirit. But a critical spirit will expel a joyful heart. You can't have a joyful heart if you have a critical spirit. Now, this is the fun part of the message. Let's conspire a little bit, church. We've been talking about joy and expelling that critical spirit. Let's have some fun with some joy right now, okay? So let's dream with me. This is a whiteboard session, all right? At home, get your pen and paper out, all right? How can we encourage one another? How can we expel the spirit of criticism through encouragement. It is said that people need to hear encouragement to a five to one ratio. Even if you are giving a critique, a complaint, you better not be a complainer. A complainer is somebody who complains at a higher rate than five to one. If you're like, okay, I give three complaints and two good words to this person, they're only gonna hear the complaints. So let's be a church this week. Let's just be crazy Encourager. Some of you are like, I don't do that. <laughs> You're going to do it. Why? Because the Lord wants us to do this. Some people you think like, well, my encouragement doesn't come cheap. Well, it should because Jesus went to the cross and he didn't do anything. Stop it. All right? We are going to be encouraging people. We are going to find what's excellent. And, oh, man, that person's really hard. It may be hard. But listen, we are going to be an encouraging church this week to the world in our church. And we're even going to encourage ourselves. Are we in? You ready? All right. So. Let's encourage the people in the world. In our world, it's Kenosha, right? How could you encourage your neighbors this week? How about those that don't like you? Maybe you have that really hard neighbor. Maybe even those that oppose you. Maybe, they, maybe at work, they know you're a Christian, or maybe, they, they, maybe you've had some conversations about life stuff, and it got a little bit heated. All right, what are you going to do to show the love of Jesus to them this week? I know you're thinking of some names right now. Maybe it's a handwritten note, Right? Uh, maybe it's a plate of cookies. That would get me, all right? <laughs> Let's get creative. In the world, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. Somebody random down the street. You're like, man, I see that guy walking down uh, Pershing all the time. I, I'm, I'm going to bless him. How? You know, I don't know. 
Maybe you'll be getting coffee with a stranger you don't even know. All I'm saying is, this week, this is your assignment. How are you going to show the love of Jesus? How are you going to encourage the world, your town, your neighbor? Secondly, how are you going to encourage somebody in this church? You know, we come in here and we praise Jesus, but I want you to know the reality is there's the, we often feel duplicit feelings. We know our hope is in Jesus, but sometimes we might be having a really unhappy week. Someone might be in here. I know there's people in here right now. I'm not, I mean, not specifically, but I know in the size of this room and the amount of people that we have in this room that there are discouraged people in this room right now. You, you may have had something happen this week that's been so awful. Uh, you haven't told anybody. In fact, just as I was praying this week, I actually believe that there is, there is, there are some people that have really just the hope has just been completely shrunk in your life. But as I was praying, I want you to know that I believe that's actually opposite, that God wants to fill that. But you know how he's going to fill that in part? is by you. is by you encouraging that person. So you're going to encourage somebody in this city or your workplace or wherever, but you're also going to encourage somebody in this church. Who, Andy? I don't know. It's, 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 it's not hard. All you have to do is write a note, you know, for, you know, Starbucks gift card. Uh, and, and listen, I'm not talking about me, by the way. I'm talking about you guys, all right? Find somebody and bless them. Maybe it's a plate of cookies. I don't know what it is. It's like, hey, getting to know somebody you don't know, I don't know what it is, but I want you to ask the Lord, God, who am I gonna encourage in this church? Everybody needs encouragement. And finally, how can you encourage yourself in the, in, the, in the Lord? And this is, I'm gonna give you a practical way. You need to get in the word, and you need to believe the promises, just as the shepherds. You need to believe it, reprioritize it, Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you anew and believe with a rising hope of expectation that, God, you can do what you say you're going to do. So you need to encourage yourself. It's not you encouraging yourself. It's the Lord encouraging you. Because you can't have a joyful heart if you have a critical spirit. We're going to turn that around. Church, we in? We're going to encourage people this week and encourage your neighborhoods. You're going to encourage people in this church? Yes, amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you went to the most unlikely. We thank you that you went to the most unlovely. God, we thank you that, that God, you used shepherds to be your first evangelist. God, I am so excited what you're gonna do in this room, what you're gonna do through this room, what you're gonna do through the people that are watching online. That God, we, aren't, we don't wanna just spread Christmas cheer in a commercialized way. We want people to know you. Father, I just pray right now that you would lay names in our minds right now and give us specific ways we're going to encourage just wait allow him to speak names to you as you do that i want to talk to the people in here that you've been hearing about the hope in the lord and you haven't felt ever the hope of the lord and you realize you don't have a personal relationship with the lord you've never asked jesus to be your savior personally you've heard about jesus You've maybe been in church in your life. You may have gone through uh, uh, some kind of uh, classes in your life, but you've never made it personal. This is what it means by making it personal. Jesus Christ created you on purpose. God created you on purpose. But you sinned. You, done, you, you did wrong. You committed sin, that you, and sin separates you from Almighty God. What religion says then is that you need to prove yourself. That you, need, you need to do better that you need to prove yourself that you are worthy in the presence of God. But that's not, that's not God. That's not Jesus. That's dead religion. 
You see, God's requirement for heaven is perfection. And we've all fallen short of that. But Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, born in a manger, to live, to die, to fix that. He went to the cross. He saw you and saw every one of your sins. And on the cross, he paid for them all. So that when you place your faith and trust in Christ alone, that he died on the cross for your sins, you believe that he rose from the dead because he didn't stay dead because Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. He was sinless. Death couldn't keep him. When you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the dead, when you ask him to be your savior, the Bible says you're saved. All those who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, if today you're like, I want a personal relationship with Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. We just slip up your hand? Say, yeah, it's me. Nobody looking around. I just wanna, just wanna see if that's you today. Just slip up your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I want Jesus in my life. Thank you. I want Jesus in my life. Anybody, thank you. So Father, I pray for those today that are saying yes to you. And if you are saying yes to Jesus, just talk to him right now. Say, Jesus, I realize I've sinned. I realize that I need you as Savior. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. I'm placing my full faith and trust in you. Just tell him that. As we continue to pray for everybody in this room, how are you going to be an encouragement? I want to speak to the people in this room that, man, you just need encouraged. You're discouraged. You're discouraged because something happened this week. A relationship's broken down. Specifically, you've been praying for something. And from your perspective, God just didn't simply answer it again. You're frustrated. For some of you, you remember a, a season where God was moving in your life and it just seems like you're in a desert. This is your moment to rediscover what God is doing and to choose joy despite what's going on around your life. Because it's going to be choosing joy in this season that's going to get you through this season, grow you through this very hard season. It's exactly what you need. It's not that it's not working. It's what you need. I believe that's speaking to a number of you in here today. That discouragement in this last week. He's with you. He knows your situation inside out. He loves you. So Father, I pray for those individuals, the broken relationships, the disappointments, the prayers that seemingly seem like they go unanswered. God, you are with them. Encourage them now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us so that you never have to miss an episode. 
At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week on the Emmanuel Kenosha Church Podcast.